I'm Steve Fisher. The best thing about being a dog parent is being a dog parent. Sadly, dogs' lives are only a fraction of ours. It would be great if we could keep them with us longer. Dr. Daniel Promislow is trying to figure out how to do that. The Dog Aging Project is nationwide, long-term, longitudinal study of aging that we're going to track these dogs, the same dogs, year after year. And our goal is to understand what are the biological factors, the environmental factors that determine whether a dog is going to be healthy ager, live to a long life as a vigorous dog, or fall apart more quickly as some dogs do. He's one of the creators of the Dog Aging Project, and he's my guest on Life Slices. I'm going to start with an easy question. Who is Daniel Promislow? I am a professor at the University of Washington in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology and of Biology. And I am a dog lover and a scientist interested in aging and all the ways in which aging can help us to understand the world. What inspired you to to go into the study of aging, of all the topics you could have chosen? I started studying aging back as a graduate student in England in the 1980s, actually. I was interested in why it is that there's so much variation in mammals across species and how long they live, from very short-lived mice that might live for just a few months to elephants and whales and humans that can live for so many decades. And that so that got me into aging, and I've been doing it ever since for more than 30 years now. I know there are certain insects, like flies, that only live for a day or something. Do they wake up in the morning and go, I've only got 24 hours, what can I accomplish? Yeah, so mayflies are, are a really interesting insect. They actually have a very long life before the adult stage in what we call the larval stage underwater, where they do their development over many months. They then emerge as adults and have just about a day. And your question is a good one. I think what they're saying to themselves is, I need to start reproducing right away because I don't have a lot of time. Whereas longer lived species like humans, great example, can delay reproduction for a pretty long time because we know we're going to live for a long time. <laughs> Theoretically. The, the, what is the dog aging project? That is your, your, is that your key project right now? So the dog aging project is one of the, the major things I do. I also actually study fruit flies in the laboratory. But the dog aging project is nationwide, long-term, longitudinal study of aging. So longitudinal means that we're going to track these dogs, the same dogs, year after year. And our goal is to understand what are the biological factors, the environmental factors that determine whether a dog is going to be healthy ager, live to a long life as a vigorous dog, or fall apart more quickly as some dogs do. Why is that? I mean, why do we see such a disparity amongst breeds as to why some live seemingly long lifespans and others not so much? There's a huge amount of variation from breed to breed, as many of your listeners know. Typically, the large breed dogs are much shorter lived. You might find a Great Dane, for example, that 
will typically live for six, seven, maybe eight years, whereas a chihuahua or a toy poodle could easily live 15, 16, 17 years. So in general, the larger breed dogs are shorter lived, but there's also even within breeds of the same size, there are some that live longer than others. One of the striking things about the different breeds and something that motivates our study is that the the spectrum of diseases that dogs get is different from breed to breed. So there are some breeds that are likely to get cancer, others that are more likely to get heart disease or kidney disease. And it's that is due to the genetic differences between the breeds. And that's something that we are trying to figure out. The, the thing about dogs is that they also, that the, those diseases that they get are often the same diseases that we get. So if we can understand how genetics influences diseases in dogs as they get older, we're likely to learn about the same in humans. But also they live in our environment. And of course, when we go off to to work, the dog stays home. So in that sense, dogs are in our environment even more than we are. So if, if we discover environmental risk factors for disease, pollution, for example, it's likely to also be relevant for humans. And because dogs live so much shorter than we do, what we learn about, we can learn these things about dogs so much more quickly. So we can, in a matter of years rather than decades, we might be able to identify the genes or the environmental risk factors that influence lifespan. Now, I know this is a question that you've gotten before, why dogs and not any other animals? Dogs are really a, a perfect model for this kind of study. So first of all, because there's so much variation in lifespan and causes of disease and, and the diseases that cause mortality in dogs, it's an opportunity to discover the, the biological and environmental factors that determine that variation. So if if dogs were all the same, there wouldn't be anything for us to discover. So that variation is a really powerful tool. The other thing is, as I mentioned, dogs live in our environment, in our same environment. So we could study squirrels, for example, but they're not sharing our environment. Dogs also have a really sophisticated healthcare system, second only in sophistication to our own healthcare system. So we can look at how different treatments might impact health and disease longevity in dogs. And that variation in size that creates the variation in lifespan is really important. We also like to say in the Dog Aging Project that one of the most important motivators for studying dogs is that people love dogs. It's a bit of an old joke now, but I've often said that, you know, as I mentioned at the top, I, I also work on fruit flies. Nobody ever comes up to me after a fruit fly seminar and says, oh, my goodness, I love fruit flies, (laughs) except for the fruit fly biologists. But people all the time come up to me and say, this is so great. I love dogs. Let me tell you about my dog. Nobody. Well, people will sometimes come up to me and say, let me tell you about my fruit fly infestation. How can I get rid of them? But, But that's about it. But people really love dogs. And and we are inviting people to share their stories about their dogs and how their dogs are doing as they age. And so we also, why dogs? Well, because of the dog owners out there who so generously want to tell us about their dogs. 
Now, the, the last thing I'll add is we're not studying, we are not the cat aging project. Many people want to know why not a cat aging project? And I definitely will encourage others to study cats. That's great. You know, there's only so much we can do. There's not as much variation in lifespan among breeds of cats as there are among breeds of dogs. And so one of the benefits that we see in dogs is that that variation driven in part by size. So dogs vary in size from, you know, a little dog that's five or six pounds to a dog that can be 150 or even close to 200 pounds. And I don't think anybody wants to have a 200-pound cat in the house climbing on the couch. They'd be causing a lot of damage. That, that would be called a lion. How many people bring their dogs to your project thinking it's going to give them longer life? A lot of people are interested in the possibility that we might be able to help their dogs live longer. And we do have, as one small part of our study, we have a clinical trial. And I'll, I'll tell you about that. First, I want to say, so right now we have 40,000 dogs in our study. I would love to get to 100,000 dogs. Any of your listeners who are not already part of the Dog Aging Project, no matter what age your dog, no matter what size, breed, sex, they are eligible as long as they're in, in the United States. Just go to dogaging, dogagingproject.org, sign them up. The vast majority of the dogs in our project, of those 40,000 dogs, we are simply watching them and watching what happens, measuring cognitive function, collecting their medical records, watching what happens as they age. We are going to learn from that what are the environmental factors, for example, that help dogs age in the healthiest way possible. So ultimately, through the generosity of our participants, year, a few years from now, we'll be able to say, here's the kind of diet that is associated with long lifespan, or here's the exercise regime that's associated with long lifespan. So in that sense, our participants might learn for their own dog, and they're certainly helping the next generation of dogs to live healthier longer. We do have a, a clinical trial with a few hundred dogs, and those dogs are taking a drug called rapamycin, or a placebo. So half the dogs are on the drug, half are on placebo. We don't know which is which. So it's run just like a human clinical trial with all the safety procedures in place of a human clinical trial. And that project is being led by Matt Caberline, who's my co-director. And the, the goal of that is to ask specifically, does low-dose rapamycin increase healthy longevity in dogs? But that's only for a very small proportion, about 1% of the whole population. So most of the study is a long-term observational study. And it's just when you have a participant in the project, they're just asked to relate stories. Uh, what kind of information? The first thing that our participants do is they fill out a long survey. We call it our health and life experience survey. It takes an hour or two, depending on how much, how many health issues the, the dog has had. It's pretty comprehensive. It really allows us to capture everything about the dog's health history, its diet, its environment, and, and to do science on these dogs. We've already this year, we've been writing a lot of papers exploring those survey data. We then asked the participants to complete that survey every year so that we can track how the dogs change over time. 
We also invite participants to do additional studies. They can play games, certain games with the dogs that measure memory, for example, fill out surveys that measure social behavior. So we continue to engage participants throughout the course of the year, mostly through surveys. We are really interested in creating a dog aging project smartphone app that would allow people to do things like take videos of their dogs walking and running and upload them to us so that we could analyze mobility, for example. And we are already having owners tell us about mobility. So we really collect all kinds of data. Have you ever gotten a request from a dog asking if they can put their human in the study? Um, not yet, but when that happens, we'll certainly be excited about a dog that's that, that is that smart. <laughs> well, but, but what's one of the really interesting things about the study is that we learn not only about the, about the dogs, but also about the owners. So we just published a paper, for example, showing that not surprisingly, as dogs get older, their activity levels decline. They spend less time being active outside walking, and they walk more slowly as reported by their owners. But what the, the, the surprising thing that we found that we weren't expecting is that there was also an effect of owners. O older owners tend to spend more time outside with their dogs, so their dogs are more active. Had we thought more carefully about it, we might not have been surprised. Of course, as people get older, they tend to become more flexible in their work schedules, and eventually they retire and have a lot more time for their dogs, whereas people who are right at the beginning of their careers are working long hours to establish their careers. Actually, one of the reasons I got my dog was to get me out of the house more. Exactly. We're, we are really interested in trying to enroll dogs that belong to humans that are part of similar human studies. There are many long-term longitudinal studies of aging in humans, the, the Baltimore Longitudinal Study, the Harvard Health Studies, the Framingham Heart Study, I could go on and on. What we would love to do is get a cohort of those people who have dogs to enroll their dogs. That would be really exciting because then we would have not only the rich dog data, but we could also combine that with the rich data about the human and their home and ask questions like, is it the case that environmental risk factors associated with certain kinds of diseases in dogs also make the human more likely to have that disease? To what degree has veterinary medicine helped the longevity of dogs? I, I believe I heard somewhere that dogs today are living longer than they used to because of the health care we give them. That certainly looks to be the case. And just like in modern human medicine, there's constant improvement in veterinary medicine. We have a strong veterinary team on the Dog Aging Project. We have a group of veterinary advisors around the country, and they're excited about the project because we're following these dogs as they age, looking at how veterinary care helps them. So there's no doubt that just like modern human medicine advances, modern vet care advances are helping. We now, for example, treat dogs with cancer in a way that's similar to the way that we treat humans with cancer that allows dogs to live much longer with a diagnosis of cancer. But 
there's a really important point here that I want to make that that is an important difference between the human healthcare system and the veterinary healthcare system. So both human and veterinary healthcare have specialties. You can go to an ophthalmologist in both veterinary and human medicine, an orthopedic surgeon in both, a dermatologist in both. There's one specialty that is notably absent. So if you have If you are an older person or you have an older person in your life that you're helping to care for, you can take them to a geriatrician. Mm -hmm. So we have a human health specialty that's focused specifically on the challenges that arise as we become older. We don't have veterinary geriatrics. And one of the things that we hope will come out of the Dog Aging Project is that we will lay the foundation for a veterinary geriatrics so that when an older patient comes in to a veterinary clinic, the veterinarian can know, oh, this is a certain kind of breed. And we know from our work and others that it's likely at older ages to suffer these particular kinds of problems. Let's look out for that. That doesn't yet exist. Veterinarians have experience with older pets, but there's not a specialty in that area to really know what happens as different kinds of dogs get older. Why do you think that is? Why has that not developed yet? That's a really great question. I think part of the challenge is that the older, uh, as we look to older and older individuals, the numbers decline, of course. So just as there are not a lot of human centenarians, humans over the age of 100, although there are far more now than there were 30 or 40 years ago, there aren't a lot of what we call the centenarian dogs, the super old dogs. So while a veterinarian will have a lot of experience with a Labrador retriever or a golden or German shepherd dog or a standard poodle, they might not have a lot of experience with a dog that's the equivalent of a centenarian. We, on the other hand, by studying tens of thousands of dogs, will be able to look at what happens as these dogs get very old on a large scale that that an individual veterinarian in a single clinic just won't get enough experience to see. Oh, and I know there are problems uh, f- with adopting older dogs. Uh, people don't want to adopt an older dog because I, I don't know what it is. I guess they're guessing they're afraid of the medical costs that are going to be associated with that. I mean, there's certainly challenges to caring for older dogs. I just... Uh, lost um, our family dog, Frisbee, after almost 17 years. She's a 45-pound dog who made it out to 16 and two-thirds years, which is extremely long for a dog that size. And the last two years, we had to spend a lot of time and effort, not so much the cost, although that was part of it too, but I, I became one of those people who cooked her food for her so I, about every two weeks, I would cook a big batch of food and put it in the freezer just to keep her going. And it also requires a certain kind of patience. I used to run a few miles with her every day. And in her older years, our walks became shorter walks just across the street and down a few houses and back, but took just as long because she was very slow. She taught me a lot about patience. And I actually think people who adopt older dogs, geriatric dogs are really wonderful to do so. And it it takes patience, but it's also an opportunity to learn patience. 
And while that there is a cost, a veterinary cost to caring for older dogs, I will certainly note that the cost of veterinary care is a fraction of the cost of human health care. So it might seem like a lot, but compared to, to human health care, it's not nearly as much. The fact that we are now treating our dogs a lot differently than families used to treat dogs in the past. We are treating them now as a member of the family. We're not throwing them out in the backyard and making them sleep out there at night. We bring them in from bad weather. Is that helping the longevity of these animals? I have no doubt that that's helping longevity. the, The dog of my childhood, I was born in the 60s. And my, the dog that everybody talked about in my childhood was Snoopy. And of course, Snoopy, Snoopy slept outside and not only not in the doghouse, but on top of the doghouse in the rain, dogs were often allowed to roam freely and at risk of exposure to pathogens in the environment and to accidents from cars and so on. So I have no doubt that part of the reason that dogs are living longer is because we tend to to protect them more, at least in urban and suburban environments. We know that rural dogs are more likely to be able to spend time off-leash outside. One of the questions we're really interested in, though, is whether that actually might be beneficial in terms of them getting more exercise and so living healthier longer. That's something we're actually asking in, in our own data. But also, I will say that when you sign your dog up for the Dog Aging Project, you as the human participant, become part of a community of dog lovers around the country. We have an online site that we call the Dog Park, where people can log in and engage in conversations with other participants about all kinds of topics. So one of the things that I really like about this study is not only that we get to learn about aging in dogs, but that we also have created an opportunity for dog lovers around the country to be part of this community. I know that you have a huge network of participating institutions across the country and around the world. What did it take to develop that network? In my 30 plus year career in science, I've often come up against a problem in the lab where I didn't have a solution and I had to find a collaborator to help. And I would reach out and sometimes people would say, yes, I'm on board. And sometimes they would say, Unfortunately, I'm too busy, but here's someone who you might reach out to. With the Dog Aging Project, every time I reached out to someone to ask if they would join the team, the answer was, of course, I'd love to. People are so excited to be a part of this team. It's it's really been amazing. Just before I signed on to have this really enjoyable conversation with you, my previous conversation on Zoom was with a colleague in our business school, in the Foster Business School here at the University of Washington, who's very excited about the interface between marketing and science. The the truth is that the Dog Aging Project has something for everyone. So, you know, I get to have conversations with people in marketing. I have uh, conversations with people in bioethics. I have conversations with people in, in epidemiology. And I should say, it's not just me. There are a team of almost 100 people who are all helping to to run this project. So it partly goes back to the fact that people love dogs and partly that it's such a cool study that captures so many different areas of inquiry in the world, whether it's science or marketing or ethics or economics. 
you know, the economics of healthcare, anything that, that people just want to be a part of it. Do you have a sense of why we love dogs so much? What is it about them that attracts? I mean, I, I have to say that I know not everybody loves dogs. There are people out there who would rather they stay away. But for those of us who do love dogs, what is it about them that is that just draws us in? That's a great question. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, but I will say that dogs have been with us for tens of thousands of years, that the dogs evolved from wolves maybe 20,000 years ago, plus or minus. We don't know exactly. And so they've been hanging out with us, starting from, you know, when we were in small groups of maybe 100 people and throwing our detritus, our leftover food scraps outside of our little village and and early dog-like animals coming in and pulling those scraps out. They've been around us from from for such a long time that I think they they are part of our world. And and you know just yesterday I was talking with my son about the fact that there are ways in which dogs have evolved that are really similar to us. So we've evolved ways to digest carbohydrates bread and sugar and those sorts of things that are different from other primates. Dogs have done the same thing that are different from wolves. So there are so many ways in which we just share this environment. And so it's not surprising that that we we bond and, and we really need each other in so many ways. And we benefit from each other in so many ways. There's also, there's nothing like coming home from being away and seeing the excitement of your dog. And it's not just to go out and go potty because I'll come home and open the door and the dog won't go out. You know, so she just wants to be with me. And that, that is a great feeling that somebody wants you that much. That's right. That, that unconditional love. And I will also say, I think that we benefit in our own lives from caring for others and having a dog to care for makes us better people. Do we have, has the project been around long enough to have gained any insights into what people can do to enhance the longevity of their pet? That's a, a great question. We certainly want to figure out how people can maximize healthy lifespan in their pets. We're just now starting to analyze our data. And so we don't yet have those answers, but those papers are starting to come out. I will say that it's really important to us that our findings not be interpreted as telling people what to do. So, and I'm going to give you an example. We recently published a paper showing a correlation between health in dogs and how often they feed. Now, the the result tells us just that there's a relationship. It doesn't tell us what causes what. I think a lot of journalists misinterpreted our findings to say that it tells us to do something. So we found that dogs that feed more frequently also tend to be less healthy. Journalists wrote stories saying, you should feed your dog once a day and it will be healthier. We do not think that our data say that. An equally likely interpretation is that dogs that get sick, like for example, my dog that just died, Frisbee, who got pancreatitis two years ago, when she got pancreatitis, 
her vet said, you need to start feeding her smaller meals more often throughout the day. And so I do. And what we found is that dogs that have pancreatitis are also dogs that feed more often. So we want to be able to give people good scientific advice on what to do, but it's important to read our papers carefully. We're, in this case, we're not saying feed your dog once a day. Now, I'll look at your website. You've got a bunch of different projects going on, as we talked about earlier. You've got the, the Fruit Flies project. It, it, are there crossovers? In what way are those projects related to the dog aging project? There's actually a lot of relationship between our fruit fly work and our dog work in a couple of different ways. So both sets of projects, the dog work and the fly work, are really focused on diversity, on variation, on trying to understand why some flies live longer than others and some dogs live longer than others. And then the other part is that we do what we call systems biology. We're measuring thousands of molecules inside the body of fruit flies and inside the bodies of dogs and asking whether the measures of all those molecules can be used to predict how long an individual is going to live, to help with disease prognosis, certainly in the case of dogs, and to identify ways to prevent mortality and disease in flies and dogs. So there's lots of overlap. And then also, the discoveries that we make in dogs, we can then test whether those things are really having a, an effect by applying them in the fruit flies, where we can, we can test things in months rather than years, and we can do things in fruit flies that wouldn't be appropriate to do in dogs. It would be ironic if you found that feeding fruit flies to your dog made the dog live longer. Is there anything about you, Daniel, or, or the Dog Aging Project that I have not asked, but that you'd like to answer? The first thing I would, I would say is I would just encourage people, again, who are listening, who aren't yet signed up, please feel free to sign up at dogagingproject.org and become a part of our community. And, and the other thing that I would say is when I started out, when I was an undergraduate and I wrote my application essay to graduate school, I said that one day I hoped to help bridge the gap between the sciences and the non-sciences. And then I spent the next 25 years of my life studying fruit flies. When I began the Dog Aging Project, I realized that it took almost 30 years to get there, but I was finally finding a way to really bridge that gap. And I will say that for me, that the Dog Aging Project has been an incredibly exciting experience in, in helping to build a team and then having the good fortune to work with this incredible team of researchers who lead the project, an extraordinary team of now 40,000 participants who make it all possible. It's just a, a dream come true as a scientist to, to be a part of this experience. Well, make that 40,001. I'm going to sign up. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I just have to say that my two cats are standing outside saying, take me, take me. So hopefully we'll get to a cat project soon too. Someday. And I will add that that many people on our team are cat people. So we, we love cats and we love cat people. Thank you. I really appreciate your reaching out to me. My thanks to Daniel Promislow and the work of the Dog Aging Project. If you would like to help unlock the secret to dog longevity, 
Go to dogagingproject.org and sign up. If you don't have a dog, what are you waiting for? Having one might even increase your longevity. If you like this episode of Life Slices, like us and subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. Music.